Well, you can turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 25. The church choir director was being driven out of his mind at the rehearsals for the Christmas choral concert. It seemed that every single time they had to practice, several of the members were not there. In fact, no one had made every single practice except for one person, the piano player. So in the final practice final practice, the day of the concert, they had the final practice and they get together. He decides he's going to build up and edify this person who's been here every time, only one who has. And so he says, I just want to honor the piano player who's been here for every single practice to get ready for this concert tonight. And the pianist stood up and took a bow and everyone gave their approval, their, uh, their diligence. And she spoke up and she said, well... It's the least I could do considering I can't make it tonight. (laughs) We're beginning a new series today, Faithful and True. Looking at the idea of faithfulness in us. Who we are faithful to, why we are faithful, what kind of results we'll get from it. How many of you folks have felt that you've been faithful in something for a long time, haven't seen anything of it? Sometimes we think we've been faithful. But there's some ways that you can find out what you've been faithful to to find out whether you should deserve the thing that you think you ought to get. So a number of doctrines in the Word of God we'll be looking at. A number of teachings on faithfulness as well as looking at some people in their faithfulness, some who were and some who were not. But over in Matthew 25, we've looked at this recently, but I just want to focus on a couple of things that are being said in here. For the kingdom of heaven... It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside these. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside these. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Therefore, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Well, one of the things we can look at in here is the focus of this story is certainly the faithfulness of those who'd received. It was not the amount of talents they had received, but it was the faithfulness which, which they exercised what they could with the talents that they had. I thought it's also interesting to note that apparently the talents didn't, they weren't taken away from them. So what you're given in this life apparently will go over into the next as long as you're faithful with it. But the word faithfulness, if you look this up in the dictionary, it means strict or thorough in performance of duty. Strict or thorough in performance of duty. True to one's word, promises, vows, so forth. Steady in allegiance or affection. Loyal, constant, reliable, trusted or believed. Adhering or true to fact, a standard or an original. Accurate. This is faithfulness. But strict or thorough in performance of a duty. Strict or thorough in performance of a duty. How strict, how thorough are we in the performance of anything that we do? And generally this tells us some things about us. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. This is where we're going to spend most of our time here today. Beginning over to verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first thing we need to do is to locate our heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can either find where your treasure is, or you can find where your heart is, you'll find the other. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't let the things that you have down here become treasures. Become those things where you put your heart in. Your heart must be in other things, not the things here on earth. What are the things here on earth? A prestigious job? Cars? Houses? Items? Things? Clothes? Bank accounts? Money? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What is waiting for you in heaven? Now, I don't mean, well, you know, heaven's up there, and God said, go and prepare a place for me. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the streets of gold. I'm not talking about the pearly gates. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about you personally. What is in heaven for you? When you go to heaven... What has your name on it? When you get there, it's going to say, Steve, this belongs to you. It doesn't, doesn't belong to Matt. It doesn't belong to Lamar. It belongs to me. Matt, when he gets there, this belongs to Matt. It doesn't belong to Steve. It doesn't belong to Vanessa. It belongs to Matt. What belongs to you? Now, you'd be thinking about this, and I'll bet most of you here are scratching your head saying, what belongs to me? What? I mean, I know i got a house. And I know I'm going to be able to... I have residency there. I know i got that. And I know I have salvation. And, uh, and I know there's eternity. But what belongs to me? Look what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you don't know what your treasure is in heaven, how can your heart be there? Doesn't that make sense? We all want to be spiritual. We all say, well, my, my heart is in heaven. My heart is in spiritual things. What is coming to you? I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's good. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's good. And I'm just, I'm sure it's good. Would you all go for, to work for someone who says to you, come work for me. We will give you a good paycheck. And you try and press them and say, well, well, how much will that paycheck be? Don't worry about it, but it will be good. By the way, we pay once a month. At the end of the month, there's a week waiting period till we get the check ready. At the end of that, it'll take about five weeks and you'll get your paycheck. It'll be a good paycheck. So they want you to work four or five weeks and you don't know what you're getting paid. But it'll be good. Good to who? Now, how many of you folks took a job, got paid a certain amount of money for that job and thought it would be a good paycheck, but then when you got into the job and found out what the job was, you decided this was not a good enough paycheck to do this job. This job is asking too much of me. This job is requiring too much. Don't like the stress of the job. Don't like the abuse I take. Don't like this. So what seemed to be good in the beginning isn't so good now. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you do not know what treasure awaits, you, you cannot tell me that your heart is in heaven. Because you don't know what awaits you. You know what's there generally, but you don't know what awaits you. You need to know this. If you're going to get your heart there, Jesus is telling you, for where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So if you are ignorant to the treasure that awaits you specifically in heaven, it will affect your faithfulness. It will affect you putting your heart into what you do. Because you don't know what's really there. But you do know what's down here. Have I got your interest? We'll get back to some healing things later on. I know there's still some more questions we have. And we have, we told you another series we're going to get into. That will help you stay healed day to day. But just need to mix it up a little bit. And get one kind of food for a while. Need to mix it up and get some other stuff. It goes on in verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. What you see, what you bring in. This is bringing an illumination for you. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now look at this. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... This is Jesus teaching. This is not some guy who doesn't know elements and things that are at work. This is Jesus. Who is the creator of all things? Jesus is the creator of all things that are created. That's one reason why the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. Because they see Jesus as a created being. Don't think Jehovah's Witnesses are real close to us, folks. 
They sound it. And they talk a good talk. And they give all kinds of glory to Jesus. But Jesus is a created being. They do not believe in the Trinity. That's why folks jump over there because it's easier to believe. You just believe in God supreme. Jesus is the highest of all of God's creations. And they'll even believe that Jesus created all the things after that, I believe. But they say Jesus as a created being. Therefore, Jesus is not God. And that affects the salvation plan. They don't see the Holy Spirit as God. So there are some differences. They, you come knock on your door and you talk to them about Jesus and they're all up about Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, we believe in Jesus too. I know, I've talked to them. But this is Jesus talk, talking. The Creator of all things. Things that we know about and things that we don't know about. We're still discovering things on this earth we haven't even tapped into the things in space. And we're making guesses at some stuff. But you know, guesses they made 10 years ago, they've changed their mind on. And that's alright. That's good to change your mind when you find other things right about it or, and things are wrong. That's fine. They can change their mind. They're giving you what they know best right now. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how can light be darkness? Jesus is teaching. He's not just throwing out some concept that doesn't exist. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, we live in a limited area as far as the universe is concerned. We live in the earth and we can see certain things that go on in the earth. How many of you have ever been in rooms that have different lights on? Different color lights and different things. Different color lights bring out different things. For those of you who will play laser tag on um, Hallelujah Night, and we go in there, they do that under a black light. And a black light makes certain things visible that are not visible otherwise. You can put a black light on a, on a picture that's made for a black light, and the whole picture will change when you put that black light on it. I didn't see that in there. <gasps> Look at that. I, how come that wasn't visible before? And you turn the black light off and it goes away. And you can't see it. So you put a black light on something and a black light will illuminate things that are invisible to you otherwise. If you put dark light on the inside of you, it makes things visible that are otherwise invisible to you. Is that good? Well, it's always good to see stuff, right? No. You get the wrong kind of light in you, your problem looks bigger than it is. If you get the wrong kind of light. If you get the wrong kind of light, a good solution will appear bad. If you get the wrong kind of light, a bad solution will appear good. Just talk to Jehoshaphat and Ahab. A bad solution appeared very good to them as they went into battle. Just talk about David as he faced his adversary. Absalom. And he had the council of Ahithophel. And they said the council of Ahithophel was as if one inquired of God. And David prays, make his counsel appear to be foolishness. And that's what God did. And this wise counsel that would have put Absalom into the kinghood, being king, he saw as a bad plan because of the light that was in him. If the light you bring in is bad light, it will illuminate the wrong things. You'll believe the wrong things. 
You have problems. How many have ever been to one of those 3D rides? Not movies. One of those 3D rides. First 3D ride I was ever on was uh, Terminator down in Florida. If you've never been out to that one, it's one you had to put the 3D glasses on and you go in on the ride and they've got this big old monster out there that only when you put the glasses on does he look like he's coming out into the audience to get you. And I mean, he comes right up into your face and you almost back up. He's right up in your face, but you take the glasses off and you don't see him. He's not, I mean, you can see him, but he's just not coming into your face. And they did a really nice, nice effect at, the, at this ride. They had, had a part where the, uh, the good guy blew up the bad guy and this monster blew up. He's a mercury monster. He made out of mercury somehow and he blew up and you see all these mercury pieces go all over the whole place and you still have the 3D glasses on. You see mercury going all over and they spray droplets of water out. And these droplets of water begin to land on you as this mercury was all into the air. Very nice effect. But actually what we saw wasn't happening. And so what we felt wasn't the result of what we saw. But you thought it was. The light that is in you can illuminate the wrong things. It can bring about the wrong things. And that's why we have to be careful. And that comes into play in a little bit. No one can serve two masters. For either either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You will serve one master. You may try and cover up who that master is, but you serve one master. Now, there are some sub-masters, but there generally are as a, there's an overall master. Why do you go to work every day? Why well, to pr- provide for my family? Is that really the master? I mean, if you keep on pressing in and pressing in, eventually you can come back down to the fact that God told you to provide for your family. That's why you go to work. You go to work to do your job as unto God. There's your master. Now, when you are at work and your spouse calls you up at work and asks you while you're at work to do something for them, that may come into a conflict because the other sub-master, who is your boss, may not want you taking company time to do that thing for your spouse. And you may have to defer and say, you know, honey, won't be able to do that right now. I'll have to do that when I get home. I have to do this. Boss wants this done. Whatever it might be. But then when you get on home and your boss calls you up and says, I need you to do this now. But you're at home. Does your boss have jurisdiction over you at home? No, he's a submaster. When you're under his time, you do the things that he needs, but you still have an overmaster even while you're there. If that boss asked you to do something immoral that went against your beliefs, you'd stand up against that boss, wouldn't you? Sure you would. So there's submasters. Don't get the submasters conflicted with the overall master. There is one master that you serve. One master that you serve. Now, every once in a while, I like to bring in some current event things that's going on here. And I know something that's been very concerning to a lot of you is all this stuff that goes on with the banking and all this stuff that's going on with uh, the housing. You know, the housing market's crashing, so, to, so they tell us, and the banks are about to go under. And they've been putting through the Congress for the last week this bill. It goes from one place and it gets changed and goes back to the other place and gets changed. And initially they told us that they had to get this bill passed or everything was going to fall apart. Isn't that what you heard? How many of you heard that from the, from the different places? If we don't get this thing passed... Everything will fall apart. They said it so much to us that after a while we kind of believed. 
in that we saw the stock market take a dip. And we kind of figured that the stock market was tied into this too. How many figured that the stock market's tied into what's going on with this? Because you hear some news out of the housing thing and what happened to the stock market? And then we hear, well, Kobe is failing. And so we got buyers for that. In fact, I heard the one buyer, the, the first one that came up was that um, Citibank. Citibank was going to buy them, but they needed government money to do it. <laughs> Who's government money? I think that is you, isn't it? They needed government money to get that deal done. Then Wells Fargo came along and they're going to do it, but they're not going to, it was a better deal. And they're not going to require any taxpayer money at all to get the deal done. Now, last I heard, something was putting a stop to stop the Wells Fargo deal from going on to get the Citibank deal going so you can spend, they can spend some of your money to get that deal happening. Isn't that fun? But anyway, $700 billion is what was being thrown around that we had to get done with this. Now, there was different senators that come in and understand this is not a Republican and Democrat issue. We're not going to look into Republicans and Democrats. We got, we got sinners on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> They've been messing with your money, messing with your stuff. But they're selling you on a bill, bill of goods. First off, the, the, one of the guys, I believe um, Chris Dodd got up and he was talking about how there's not enough regulation and that's what caused all this problem. How many have heard Chris Dodd talk about there was not enough regulation going on in Congress? And that's why they had the problem. Well, some years ago, they felt that the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac needed more over, uh, jurisdiction and someone to watch over them, so they formed a committee. Do you know who was the head of that committee who watches over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Isn't that funny? <laughs> now, over in about 2003 and 2005, the Bush administration got the idea that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were not being watched carefully enough. And so they decided they needed more. So they brought one of the um, regulators in to testify before Congress and he told them how bad it was. Told them the stuff they were doing. Told them they could not continue. And the guys who sat on the panel of the committee that was hearing this raked him over the coals and called him a liar. These are some of the same people that are in the news today telling you we had no idea this was coming. I could tell you their names. Some of the same people are telling you that we didn't know anything about it. This was known. Now, how did it come about? Well, how many of you have been led to believe there's not enough regulation, we need more regulation? You know what that means? We need a bigger government. We need government even more involved in your lives. What they are not telling you is the reason we got into the problem was because of regulation. Why did banks give loans to people who couldn't pay it back? It actually had nothing to do with greed, believe it or not. If you are a bank and you are lending money to someone, would you give them the money if you were sure they could not pay it back? Come on, be a banker. Would you do it? Are, is there a way for you to make money on that? Now, but it happened, and I can tell you the two presidents that were involved. If you want to find that out later on, I'll tell you. I don't want to get this good. If I tell you presidents, and you might be saying, well, this is this party, and that's that. I don't care what party they are. But there are two presidents involved that started the ball off the bat. And what happened was regulations got passed because how many of you know that there were certain minority groups that there was uh, things made about it that certain people of certain minority groups couldn't get houses? That people were just... Uh, Knocking them right up, that redlining, I think they called it. And you couldn't get a loan just because you were certain, born of a certain descent. 
And so what they did was they came up with new stuff. This was sold by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. What they were was no author, no um, no income verification, 100% loans. And during this committee that I already told you about, there was a lady, I heard her, I heard her whole testimony in there. There was a lady, one of the ones on the panel, the, the committee, who had even brought up the fact of how good Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were doing at getting these new products out of 100% loans and no income verification. Now, the reason they did this was because they wanted to get the houses into people who couldn't afford them. And for the people who were being supposedly redlined. In fact, there was one case of one person who was made very famous. They said he had, I believe, a million dollars in the bank. Told about his job, what he made. I believe his job, he was making somewhere around sixty dollars to $100,000, if I can remember it right. And he was trying to get a $60,000 loan. And the bank turned him down because of his ethnic ability. Well, it turned out that case was actually researched and found out the guy did not have a million dollars in the bank. He didn't have $60,000 in the bank. He didn't have $1,000 in the bank. And he didn't have nearly as good of a job as they said he did. And he had no way of paying back the loan. So the bank turned it down. They didn't tell you all that. They want to throw out a, another scenario. Now, I know that there were some times and there are people who had racial motivations and turned people down for loans because of that. I know that probably happened because we have people. Thank God it is less and less. But we still have people who judge things on races. I know that. But regulations were put in effect to take care of this problem. As soon as you regulate a problem out, now you, got, now you have other problems. So what you had was regulations were started that forced banks to give loans to people who could not pay them back. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac bought up all those paper. Then the people who ran Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac fiddled with the books to post-date it and make it look like something in the future so that their books look better and they got better bonuses based on false data. It is exactly this scenario that we saw with Enron, WorldCom, and a third one. When you had Enron, how many people were calling for investigations and people went to jail, didn't they? When you had WorldCom, then we call for investigations and people went to jail. You know what? People were doing stuff like that. They ought to go to jail. That's, that's just wrong. I'm not defending Enron or WorldCom or any of those. They did wrong things. The Fannie Mae and Bill and, and the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac thing dwarfs all three of those major things. I forget the third one. Dwarfs all three of them. This is bigger. What cause have you heard for any investigations? There's not a single call for investigation. There's a reason for it. There is a reason for it. They are covering something up. I I know people who should be exposing this stuff and they aren't out there exposing it. But anyway, that's not the that's not the issue. The issue is faithfulness. This is truthfulness. This is why I'm bringing this one up here now. You all were sold a bill of goods that $700 billion of your money is needed for the economy not to collapse. That this is what's required. If Otherwise, we're all in a, we're all in a pickle. Right? Isn't that what you're told? Were you not told that it was urgent? That it was imperative that this go on? I have the actual article printed up here, but it came out too small. I want you to tell you what they actually passed. Now, bear in mind, 
This is a 700 billion, this is what it started out to be, 700 billion dollars for an act that was imperative. If we didn't do it, our country is going to fall apart. If our country falls apart, other countries are going to fall apart. We're in a whole uh, bad way. Washington, here little piggies. Congressional deal break, broker, <laughs> brokers yesterday slopped a mess of pork into the 700 billion financial rescue bill passed by the Senate last night. This is the one that was passed. Including a tax break for makers of kids' wooden arrows in a bid to lure reluctant lawmakers into voting for the package. Let me just pause that for a minute. There is, a, there is money in here for companies who make wooden arrows for your little kids to help them out. Because apparently some of the senators, and I don't know who they were, but some of the senators would not vote for this package unless it was put in there. Which means they're not going to vote on this thing based on is it good for the country or is it bad for the country. They're going to vote if they get their little thing for the wooden arrows. What's that tell you about who they're loyal to? Who are they faithful to? Whose master do they serve? Don't, this is not a Democrat-Republican issue, folks. you got folks on both sides that took that put stuff into this thing. Stuffed into this 451-page bill are more than $1.7 billion worth of targeted tax breaks to be doled out for a sty full of eyebrow-raising purposes over the next decade. This is how Washington works, said Keith Ashdown of Taxpayers for Common Sense, a Washington research group, a big pot of pork is their recipe for final passage. The special provisions include tax breaks for manufacturers of kids' wooden arrows, $6 million. And get this one. I'm sure we couldn't, we couldn't get by without this one. Puerto Rican and Virgin Island lands rum producers, $192 million. Wool research. I don't have a figure on that. Auto racing tracks. All you auto racing fans ought to be happy. They got $128 million tacked into the $700 million bill that took it up into the, the, by the time all these things are put on, it's around $850 billion. They put in $150 billion worth of extras. Corporations operate in American Samoa, $33 million. Small to medium budget film and television productions, $10 million. Another measure inserted into the bill appears to be a bald-faced bid aimed at winning the support of Republican Don Young, Republican from Alaska, who voted against the original version when it went down in flames in the House on Monday. So it meant that he was going to vote against it when it didn't have this provision, but vote for it when it did. That provision, a $223 million package of tax benefits for fishermen and others whose livelihoods suffered as a result of the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill has been the subject of fervent lobbying by Alaska's congressional delegation. Some of the pork barrel measures buried in the financial rescue package have been contained in a bill that previously passed the Senate but died in the House. The Congressional Budget Office said the package of breaks, including obvious pork and some more defensible tax measures, will add $112 billion to budget deficits over the next five years because the bill doesn't contain enough offsetting revenue hikes to keep the budget balanced. So that's $112 billion in deficits. Not all of the stuff they put in there, just what they can't pay for. 
the legislative land annoyed Tom Schultz, president of the Watchdog Group Citizens Against Government Waste. Is it important that we go for the rest of this? Yes. Some of the other measures added to win approval include a $3.8 billion health care provision that forces insurance companies to provide coverage for mental health treatment equivalent to the coverage they provide for physical illness. Now, I don't want to discuss the merits of all these things. You know, we might even be all on different pages, whether, you know, Alaska needs that thing or health coverage needs this or, or whatever. But we were sold that this is a crucial bill that our country will fall apart if it doesn't happen. I don't know if it occurred or not, but I know that over in California, Governor Schwarzenegger was trying to tackle on $7 billion for his state because he ran out of uh, money going his normal ways to get money to bail out the state. Couldn't get it any other way, so he was trying to get his tacked onto there. Now, if that happened and that one went on, then how about Pennsylvania? And, and then Virginia? And New Jersey? And New York? Florida? Hawaii? Let's get all 50 in there. What if we gave $7 billion to each one of those? They're selling you a bill of goods, folks, that they are loyal to you. That they are loyal to this problem but they're not. They are loyal to something else. And when they do things like this, it really shows it. Nancy Pelosi got up and she was talking about this bill when they got it all past the house and everything. And she got up and you know what she said about it? She said she got her two big issues involved in this bill. I forget the second one, but the first one was global warming. And this is a global warming bill. They have got so much stuff tacked in here for global warming because they can't get it through any other way so they tack it onto this bill. And it gets once it gets tacked onto the bill, it goes on. Faithful and true. Which master do you serve? You see, people will come out and they will tell you, we're here to serve you. We're here to do what's necessary. We're here to uphold the Constitution. But then they do things, and when you look at what they did, you say, no, they didn't do that. Oh, for the days when we had leaders who were true to the Constitution and were true to spending your money wisely. There's a whole lot more you can get into and all that, but I only want to call your attention to it. You can go out there and you can do the research like I did and find that out on your own. Who's responsible? It is very evident who the people are responsible. And right now the government is set to put the very people who are responsible, not behind jail, but in charge of fixing the problem. That's what we are set out to do right now. The very people who created the problem are in line to fix it. Where are their loyalties? Well, you know where their loyalties are. Thank God our citizenship is of another world. Because I'll tell you what, it drive you nuts. If this is all you had, it would just drive you nuts. It'd just be crazy. No one can serve two masters. You either are sold out to God or you're sold out to something else. It could be money. It could be power, prestige. Some people are sold out to themselves. They will do whatever is good for me and I'll do something that benefits someone else as long as down the line I get some benefit out of it too. They're sold out to something. It don't take long to figure out what people are sold out to. You know what is the, some of the best thing to find out what people are really sold out to? Who their master is? Conflict. When conflict comes in your life, 
you generally will show where that's at. You'll, you'll find out. You get conflict, you got to jump on one side or the other. It'll tell you. You cannot serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Can't do it. So once you locate your heart, where your heart is, you've got to locate your master. Who is it that you are motivated in serving and what the things that you do? Who is your motivation? Who is behind your motivation? Is it God? Now, we get into the Christian circle and we think, well, I'm born again. Of course, God is my master. Of course, God is the one who's behind it. But I'll tell you what, there's, there, there's some Christians you can call into question on that. I know they serve God. I know they show up at church. I know they read the Bible. And then they do all those kind of things. But I have to question sometimes whether God is their master from some of the things they do. How many of you know people who have been faithful? Not you. Other people. But other people who, who are faithful as long as people thank them. As long as people acknowledge them. As long as people give them glory. And as soon as that gets cut off, what happens to their faithfulness? Who's their master? Why is it that we're supposed to do the things that we do? Is it for glory? Is it for recognition? Well, we all know that. Scriptures teach us that pretty thoroughly. What are we doing it for? For Him. For Him. God, I'm just doing this for you. But then if people don't thank you, I don't want to do this anymore, God. Yeah, how much are you really doing it for Him? Do it for Him. Make sure He's your master. Cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How many of you feel like with God you hold more value than a bird? Have you seen birds lately? They are kind of pretty. I mean, they're dressed up. They're colorful. They look nice. God says, who clothes them? Who feeds them? Do they have alarm clocks? Does their alarm clock go off in the morning? But they're generally up before you are. But they got food. You see, they haven't let that light come in that illuminates to them what you're going to eat tomorrow. <gasps> I didn't think of that. Hmm. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden? They're walking around just having a good old time. And then all of a sudden they ate the tree and what happened? Light came in and they realized you're naked. I'm naked! They didn't realize before. They were, but they didn't realize it. There was no light. There was no illumination that came in. Now all of a sudden they realize, I'm naked. Didn't realize it before that. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. Now, did you notice in that passage, just in this passage, how many times did he tell you, do not worry? How many times? Three times. Three times he says to you, do not worry. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Right? Verse 31, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Three times he exhorts us, Do not worry. Is he trying to get a point across? Is this important to him? Do not worry. How many of you worried just yesterday? Don't raise your hand, just you know, inside, inside hands. <laughs> just yesterday, started worrying about something. I mean, doesn't worry just sneak up on you? And all of a sudden, it gets you, ah, oh, I'm worrying. Now, besides three times he tells you, do not worry, two times he questions why you do it. Which of you, by worrying, verse 27, can add one cubit to his stature? Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Two times he calls into question, why are you worrying? You can't add anything. Why are you worrying about what you're going to wear? Why are you worrying about you can't You can't change it. Worry doesn't change it, does it? It's the same. You can worry about it. It's the same. It didn't change. Changed in your mind. Got bigger. But it's still the same that it was before. See, when I switch over and I start worrying about my problem, what happened to my master? Am I still serving the same master? Look at it this way. you got a servant of a great house. A servant of a great house. What servant in that house worries about his boss's job? Worries about food for tomorrow. It's in the great house. What servant does? In fact, when Jesus brought up this whole concept in the, in the prodigal son... Doesn't the son in the story say, you know, the servants in my house eat better than I do. I'll go home and I'll just be a servant. I won't have to be concerned about where food's coming from. About what the working conditions are. I'll just be a servant. You see, change masters. If your master is of a great house, it's not messing with you. You don't worry about it. If your master is of the great house, when they start talking about all these banks failing, it doesn't mess with you. How many of you got concerned when you heard about these uh, houses? I forget to which ones that went out of my house, my, out of my head. One of them, Le- uh, Lehman, wasn't Lehman Brothers, I think one of them. And there was another one, um, Bear Stearns. I think one they bailed out and one they decided not to bail out. You ought to see the stuff involved in why they decided to one, not the other. But interesting and stuff as it is. And, you know, that all gets us all nervous. How many of you are, uh, have been around long enough and you've watched TV long enough that you remember these commercials? When E.F. Hutton speaks. Yeah, y'all heard that one, didn't you? Where are they now? Where, where'd they go? I mean, everybody's listening to them, right? Where did they go? Have you heard any more E.F. Hutton commercials? Did you hear about any E.F. Hutton bailouts? Where'd they go? They just went away. And it didn't affect you, did it? Huh. I'm not telling you that these great financial institutions can fail and have no effect on our economy and all that. Probably surely surely can. But where it says, 
Don't worry. Don't you worry about it. Do you serve the master of a great house? Or did you switch? Did you switch? You still in the same house? Don't worry about it. Be faithful. Be faithful being a servant of that house. You don't worry about that other stuff. He commands you here, do not worry. The wrong light got in. The wrong light got in. You listen to that news media long enough. I told you, it's off in my house. I don't listen to 3, 6, 10, 12. Don't listen to them. They'll just keep preaching at you all day long. By the time you get done with that, you're a nervous wreck. You let the wrong light in. Don't let that light in. It's going to illuminate stuff, make things, oh, look out for that. And it's not there. You're going to be like one having 3D glasses on at that ride. And the guy next to you has no glasses on at all. And he's looking at you. What are you afraid of? What are you jumping back for? There's nothing here. You don't need all that stuff. So, you locate your heart. You locate your master. You locate your meditation. What are you meditating on? What kind of light's getting in? What's that light exposing? What's that light bringing about? Keep feeding on God's Word. Keep feeding on God's Word. Now, you're going to hear news reports. You're going to hear stuff. In the weeks to come, we're still going to hear more about this financial stuff. You're still going to hear more. You're going to hear more about the election. You're going to hear more about, well, if this one gets in, then this is all going to fall apart. Well, if this one gets in, then this one's, this thing's going to fall apart. Oh, if it's this, this way. And, and, and you're going to have people that are out there all the time. And the news media that so many people put so much trust in. You know, the news media has sold out. They, they've let you know how many of you have believed that the news media was for women's rights. As soon as you get a woman up there, we had a woman running for vice president some time ago, and they were all touting her and speaking good of her. But as soon as you get a woman up in a high office, Condoleezza Rice, what did they do with her when she got attacked? They didn't do anything about it, did they? We thought that the news media was out there to help minorities, defend the case of the minorities. Well, certain ones. But just ask Judge Bork how that went for him. Clarence Thomas, how they do for defending him. The stuff they did to rake him over the coals. And what, what outrage did you hear in the news media when Sarah Palin, I don't care, you know, you like her, you're not, you consider yourself a Republican or Democrat. I don't consider myself either. I've told you that before. Yeah. I vote on, on based on beliefs and I really don't care about party. But Sarah Palin gets on up there. Someone is sent out and dispatched and breaks into her email and broadcasts her email, her personal email publicly. Now, whether you like the girl or not, I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But how would you like it if somebody broke into your email? Would that be right? Where's everybody defending those, those rights? But see, they want to tear her down, so it's okay. Don't think these folks are sold out for the rights of minorities, the rights of women, the rights of anyone. They're sold out to a cause. And they promote that cause. And they pull people in in these groups to help them in that cause because they make them think. But all you got to do is look at the evidence. The evidence is real clear. Do they defend all women who are attacked? Do they defend all minorities who are attacked? Then they're not sold out for that, are they? Thank God our God is. I thank God He doesn't care about all that. I love being in a church. We don't care about who's in part of what group or minority group, man, woman, don't matter to me. Glory to God. Do you believe it? Glory to God. Come on, let's have some fellowship. Let's enjoy each other. We can even fellowship each other. We have different political views. <laughs> That's all right. You can have different political views than I do. That's okay. Just that one's based on the Word of God. That's all. We still have fellowship together. Still love each other. Thank God for that.
good to be in, in that. I mean, there's folks out there, they, they miss out on what all folks have to offer. I'm glad we're in a place we can love on each other and not have to focus on all that. We can all be different. How many of y'all know we're all different? You come from one country. You have certain things you grew up with in that country. Glory to God. I'm going to change them. I think it's great. That isn't sharing it like cricket. I still like them. <laughs> Don't know how to play the game yet, though. They keep telling me one day they're going to teach us. Haven't seen that happen yet, though. Well, faithfulness involves loyalty to several things. First off, faithfulness involves loyalty to my master. Faithfulness involves loyalty to my master as my authority. The master that you serve is the supreme authority in your life. No longer is your desire at the helm of your life. His will. It's He is the master. If God says, don't worry, yes, sir but I really want to. Nope, don't worry. Don't you get concerned about it. My master is my authority. Secondly, His will as my priority. His will takes my priority. How many of you have had conflicts and priorities? Oh, isn't that easy how they can come on up with that? Hmm. You're out there, you had a planned a certain event on a certain day and then all of a sudden work called and now you got that and you got, oh, but I need to, oh, and you got conflict of priorities. His will is my priority. His will is my priority. My master is my authority. And His commands is my to-do list. His commands are my to-do list. Whatever He says. When He says, don't worry, yes, sir. When He says, love everyone, yes, sir. When He says, study the Word of God, yes, sir. When He says, pray, yes, sir. When He says, pray for the leaders, well, I don't like these leaders. <laughs> yes, sir. I don't care if you like them or not. I study after the things they do probably more than most of you do. Maybe not all of you, but probably more than most of you do. And sometimes, I'll tell you, it's gotten a little tough. I said, dear God, take this one home. <laughs> now, that's how I want to pray. but <laughs> Can't do that. Can't do that. Got to, what, are you, what are you supposed to do with leaders? Pray for them. Pray for them. The more I study about what they're doing, what they're saying, the more I'm responsible to be praying for them. That's what my God calls me to do. So I need to go out there and do it. Pray for them. Keep going. There was a New Year's letter that was written from a church member to the pastor. It said, Dear Pastor, You often stress attendance at worship as being very important for a Christian, but I think a person has a right to miss now and then. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons and the number of times indicated. Christmas holidays, the Sunday before and the Sunday after, too. New Year's, the party lasted too long. One. Easter, and get away for the holidays, two. July 4th, national holiday, one. Labor Day, need to get away, two. Memorial Day, visit home, hometown folk, one. School closing, kids need a break, one. School reopens, one last fling, one. Family reunions, mine and the wife's, three. <laughs> Sleep late, stayed up too long Saturday night. 
nine. Deaths in the family, two. <laughs> Guess they're planning on some things happening. Anniversary, second honeymoon, one. Vacation, three to four weeks, six. Bad weather, ice, snow, rain, clouds, you know, stuff like that, two. Ball games, two. Races, two. Unexpected company, you can't just walk out, two. Time changes, spring and the fall, two. Special on TV, Super Bowl, so forth, three. Pastor leaves that Sunday. The leaves two Sundays per year. Two. So you can count on us to be in church on the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August unless we are providentially hindered. <laughs> Sincerely, a faithful member. <laughs> yeah, how faithful is it really? As we get into the coming weeks, we want to look at what faithfulness is. Some of you may say, I've been faithful. I've been doing this, 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 and this. And maybe by the time we get finished, you may not think you've been as faithful as you thought. Or maybe you haven't been faithful in the, in the right areas or the right ways. Maybe you haven't been thinking you've been faithful at all. You've been putting yourself down and judging yourself. Oh, not faithful, not faithful. You might find out you were more faithful than you thought you were. I don't know what it's going to do. But what we need to do is take ourselves to the Word of God. Because if the Word of God calls us to be faithful, I need to be faithful by God's standards not mine. I need to be faithful to His. Because it will be evident. Just as the Senators and the House Republicans and Democrats and whoever else is up there, Independents, as they all get together and they vote on things, what they're faithful to comes out. To me, it's just appalling that we have Senators and Representatives who vote on a bill as monumental, as earth-shaking as this bill is, $700 billion. Adding $150 billion to it, making it $850 billion. And they decide to vote on it because they got $300 of company benefits to people who will ride their bike to work. That's in there. $300 benefit per year for an individual who will ride their bike to work. That will get me to vote for it. Because I got the road that I wanted. What are they faithful to? What you're faithful to will come out. But you need to find out. You need to know what to look for. You need to know what is it I have to see to know what I'm faithful to. What are you faithful to? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that you help us to understand. We want to be faithful to you. We look at all the people that are around us in leadership and in the church, other believers, and sometimes the faithfulness or lack of it that we see in others is a cause for hindrance in our life. Father, we want to be faithful to you. Not faithful based on the faithfulness of other people. Not faithful because we see other people being faithful, but faithful because we know what you've called us to be and because we understand what our treasure is, what is waiting specifically for me in heaven and know that my treasure 
is there. Thank you, Father, for the way you'll build that concept in us. So when we get to heaven, we not only know we have a house, we have streets, we have the presence of God, but we know what our treasure is. It's there as well. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.